So last week, we read the parable of the prodigal son. And if we think about that parable as, really, I think, the most powerful parable there is about the mercy of God, to illustrate the depth of God's mercy. We could consider the encounter that we read about this week of, between Jesus and this woman caught in adultery as the most powerful living illustration of the mercy of God because what we just heard is not a parable. This is a real event that actually took place. This isn't a story Jesus is telling to illustrate a truth about God. This is a real encounter that he had with a real woman. And we can look at this event from different perspectives, from the perspectives of all the different people that were involved here. So let's consider first the perspectives of the scribes and the Pharisees. What were they doing? They brought this adulterous woman to Jesus. Now, Jesus is in, in public, out before the temple, very crowded area of Jerusalem, and he's teaching. So he's got a crowd gathered around him. And they bring this poor woman that they've caught in her sin, and they publicly shame her right in the middle of this crowd. Why? Well, I want to be clear about one thing. They don't care about this woman. They don't love this woman. What they want is to catch Jesus in a trap. To be able to use Jesus' own words against him. They're not really concerned with this woman at all. They're just using her to serve their own agenda. Because they know that the law of Moses prescribes death by stoning for adultery. And they also know that Roman law, because remember, they're under Roman occupation. And the way the Roman Empire worked, when they came in, they, they took over a territory, they would let that territory govern themselves, you know. Except, except, they retained for their own power the right of execution. That's how they maintain their dominance. So the Roman law said only the Romans were permitted to execute somebody. So they they find this woman that they have caught in adultery, and they bring her before Jesus in public, in front of all of his disciples, and they accuse her of adultery. And in that accusation, in that act of accusing her, they are acting in the role of Satan. Because Satan is the great accuser. That's what he's called in the scriptures. He is the great accuser. But they don't really, and this is the funny thing, they don't really want to accuse her. Like I said, they don't care about this poor woman. They're just using her. What they really want is to be able to accuse Jesus. And that's why they're using her. Because if Jesus says, let her go, then they get to accuse him of rebelling against the Romans. But if Jesus says to, or, or excuse me, they get to accuse him of, of being unfaithful to the law of Moses that said she should be stoned. If Jesus says to, to stone her, then they could accuse her, uh, accuse him of rebelling against the Romans who said only they had the authority to execute. So either way Jesus answers, they think, oh, I've got him. I've got him. I can throw his words back at him, accuse him of something. They're not motivated by love. 
They don't love this woman. They don't love Jesus. Their only motivation is pride and jealousy. And that's how Satan, the great accuser, works when he accuses us. It's the same thing. Satan does not love you. Satan does not care about you. That sounds kind of straightforward and maybe even ridiculous to say that. Why does Deacon Deacon Matt need to tell us Satan doesn't love us, right? But we need to hear that because when we're tempted by sin, it helps us to remember that the tempter, the one who is tempting us, does not have our best interest at heart. He does not love us. He does not care about us. For that matter, he doesn't even really care about accusing us because he wants the same thing the scribes and the Pharisees wanted. He wants to accuse Jesus. He's not even really looking at us. He's looking at Jesus and saying, look, he wants to be able to say, look at these people that that you say love you. Look at these people that you call your disciples. See how unfaithful they are? They don't care about you, Jesus. Look at all these people you died for. They're still sinning. You died for nothing. Satan wants to be able to throw that back in Jesus' face. He doesn't care about you. He doesn't. Now, let's consider what's happening here from Jesus' point of view, though. Because Jesus is not caught in their trap. The scribes and the Pharisees think they're clever. Nobody ever won an argument with Jesus. Jesus is not caught in their catch-22. He doesn't deny the law of Moses. And he doesn't deny the law of the Romans. He just says, let the one among you who is without sin cast the first stone. Reminding them that they've all committed sins as well. He turns those accusations that they bring (coughs) forward, he turns those accusations back on them. Only one who is sinless has the right to judge and condemn. And none of the Pharisees and none of the scribes dare to claim to be sinless. They would appear to be ridiculous. They'd appear to be liars. So knowing that Jesus has turned the tables on them, they leave. Jesus writes in the sand. We're not told what he wrote in the sand. There's a couple of reasons for that. Maybe John didn't see what Jesus wrote on the sand, but I personally think John was probably curious enough that even if he didn't see it, you know, after seeing the Pharisees' reactions, he would have gone up to somebody else in the crowd and said, what did he write? (laughs) What was he writing down? We don't know what Jesus was writing in the sand, but one speculation that I've heard is maybe he was writing out the sins of those scribes and Pharisees. And that's why the elder ones left first, because they had the most sins. (laughs) They all left. And now it's just Jesus and the woman, as Father Paul said. Let's consider this woman's perspective. We're told that she was caught in adultery. By who? Who caught her? It doesn't say. Could it possibly have been the very man that she was with, who turned her in? Was it possibly one of the scribes or the Pharisees that was using her precisely for this purpose? We don't know. Maybe. 
we know that the man she was with isn't part of this story at all. He's not the one being thrown out publicly in front of the crowd. Was she coerced into the situation? We don't know. Maybe. Did she regret her actions that led her to this place? Probably. I think it's safe to say. Was she now feeling shame and embarrassment at being publicly accused like this? I would say definitely. But now all of her accusers have left and she stands alone before the one person who could have, by his own criteria, condemned her. Just Jesus, the sinless one, was able to cast that first stone. But he doesn't do it. Instead, he looks at her. He looks into her eyes and says, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. That's all he says. He doesn't mention why she's there. He doesn't mention the sins of her past. He doesn't minimalize them either. He doesn't pretend that they didn't happen, you know. They did happen. He doesn't justify them. But, you know, that's old news. Everybody sins, as he pointed out to the scribes and the Pharisees. Everybody sins. It's no news that somebody sinned. Former pastor here once said that uh, sometimes students are embarrassed to go into confession because they're afraid that he might judge them. Like, you? You sin? I didn't know you sinned. <laughs> you know. And he, and he told the congregation during a homily, he says, Newsflash, I know all of you sin. <laughs> I know all of you sin. When I see you come into the confessional, I think, ah, that one's repenting of their sin. <laughs> so, so never feel bad about going to confession. We all sin. That's not news. But what Jesus does here is something radically new. That is news. That's good news. He sets her free. He tells her, go and sin no more. Because your sin is not who you are. Your sin does not define you. It can entrap you. It can enslave you. But now you're free. Now, by refusing to condemn you, I am setting you free. Don't use your freedom to enslave yourself again. Because that's what sin does. Sin makes us slaves. It makes slaves out of every one of us. But Jesus keeps offering us that freedom every time we repent. Every time we go to confession. And I know sometimes people are hesitant to go because they're, they're afraid. I don't want to tell my sins to the priest. He might think poorly of me. He might judge me. And I already told you, we, we know you all sin. <laughs> we know you all sin. I guarantee you, unless you're the most creative sinner out there, you're not going to confess anything Father Paul hasn't heard before. He's been a priest for a while. He's heard it all before. He's not going to judge you. In the confessional, the priest always answers with those same words of Christ. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. You will always find mercy behind those doors. Because confession is not about the sins of our past life. It's about that freedom 
in the life of Christ. We, we have this bad attitude toward confession sometimes because we don't like thinking about our sins, right? Nobody likes thinking about their sins. You think about your sins while you're doing an examination of conscience before confession just for the purpose of identifying them so that you know what to turn away from. You can identify them so you can say no to them, so that you can reject them, and so you can say, I don't want that in my life anymore. When you go to confession, it's not about the sin. It's about the mercy. It's about hearing those words of Jesus. Go and sin no more. Jesus is doing something new. He's putting you on a new path. He's giving you a new life. St. Paul says in the second reading, forget what lies behind and strain forward to what lies ahead. The first reading that we have from Isaiah, the Lord says, remember not the events of the past because I'm doing something new. I'm doing something new. Moses liberated the people of Israel from their slavery in Egypt and brought them into the freedom of the promised land. Just like Christ liberates us from our slavery to sin and brings us into the freedom of the kingdom of God. The people of Israel began that new life by passing through the Red Sea, and we began our new life in Christ, or will begin our new life in Christ, by passing through the waters of baptism. And they were nourished in their new life by manna. We're nourished in our new life by the Eucharist. God is doing something new. We're getting towards the end of the season of Lent. It's almost over. That's why we have all the statues and the images veiled, except for the Stations of the Cross. We leave those unveiled for our devotion so that we could come and pray the Stations. But all the other statues and the images are are veiled, like our Lord soon will be veiled in the tomb, covered with a shroud. It's a little bit unsettling. If you walk in and you're not expecting it, you're like, ooh, What's going on here? It disturbs us a bit. It's different from what we're used to. But it's a sign for us that in the days and the weeks to come, something new is about to happen. Next week, our Lord will descend from the Mount of Olives and enter into his passion as we celebrate Palm Sunday. And the week after that, we'll celebrate with joy his resurrection. Today, our Lenten penance intensifies, but the purpose of that penance, like I said, it's not to look back at our sins, it's to look forward to Easter. It's to look forward to that new life that we've received in Christ. Looking back at our sins just to reject them, and then giving glory to God for freeing us from such bondage. Do you know at the end of time, at the last general judgment, the church teaches us that all of our sins will be made manifest. All of our sins, all the sins of your past life, think about this, will be publicly known. Like this poor woman's sins were publicly known. But we won't feel shame, those of us going to heaven, those of us who have accepted Christ's mercy. There will be no shame when we look back at our sins. We'll look back instead and we'll say, look at what Jesus freed me from. Isn't my God glorious? Look at the riches, (coughs) the depth of his mercy. My Lord freed me from that. There will be no shame because we'll be free. So let's look forward. 
Let's look into the eyes of our risen Savior, who says to each and every one of us, I do not condemn you. By my death, I have set you free. Be a slave to sin and death no more.